Well, as a church, July is always a month where, where, where there's a number of different events that happen every July. We begin the month of July with our kids' camp. So there's hundreds of kids here and dream team that are serving them. And then we go into our serve day where hundreds of people from our church go out into the community around us and we serve and do different projects. And then we go right into the largest event of the year, which is our dream team party that we do just to honor the people who serve. Then this last week, we had our youth camp and our teenagers were up in the mountains encountering God and seeing great things happen in their hearts and in their lives. So there's a lot that happens in July, but... As a church, we can't put our foot on the accelerator all the time. Sometimes you got to let off the gas a little bit. And that's what August is all about. You see, as a pastor, one of the words uh, the Bible calls a pastor is a shepherd. And as a shepherd, my job is not just to drive the sheep all the time, but there's times where I've got to lead sheep beside still in quiet waters so that you can be refreshed and you can be rejuvenated and you can be reinvigorated. And that's what August is all about. August is when we slow down and we just, we really pray and we go deeper with God and we seek God. And it's a time where we can be refreshed spiritually and rejuvenated spiritually, just kind of a a season of prayer. It's why we, we open the month with kind of acoustic worship, a little bit softer, a little bit move into this season of just rest. And so the series in August is always a series for you. Because here's my goal as a pastor. My goal in the month of August is to take you deeper, to take you closer to God than you've ever been before, to, to get you in touch with God like you've never been in touch with him before. That's, that's the purpose of August is let's just go deeper Let's get closer to God. But here's what I've learned about drawing closer to God is that you can only do that at the level of your comfort. You will only get as close to God as you are comfortable with God. And that's a problem because there's a lot of people that are afraid of God. There are a lot of people that keep God at an arm's length, an arm's distance away. And the problem is many people are rejecting things about God that aren't even in the Bible. And that's a huge problem. People, you know, again, they're rejecting something. They think about God, but it's not in the Bible at all. And in 20 years of pastoring, I've counseled many people, interviewed many people. One of the questions I like to ask people when I'm talking to them is, what do you think about God? What is your view of God? What What do you think about God? And I'm shocked sometimes at the responses I get. Like, I hear people saying things about God, and I'm thinking to myself, man, if I thought about God the way you thought about God, I wouldn't want to be close to him either. Like, I wouldn't want anything to do with Christianity if I thought that's what God was like. We were at a leadership conference with my pastor last week in in Church of the Highlands in Alabama, and and he brought in one of his spiritual fathers, John Maxwell, the leadership guru, and and John was telling a story of one of his neighbors who's an atheist, and for years, John tried to share Christ with him and just little things to serve him and love him and bring him to Christ. And one night, he was over at dinner, and his atheist neighbor said to him, you want to know why I'm not a Christian? I'll tell you exactly why I'm not a Christian. And John said, sure, I'd love to hear about this. He goes, I'll tell you exactly why I don't believe in God. He goes, I can't believe in any God that would ever send somebody to hell. That's why I'm an atheist. And John looked at him and he goes, man, me and you both, I'd never believe in a God like that. 
He goes, in fact, my God's the exact opposite. My God did everything possible to keep people from going to hell. Like you actually have to work yourself into hell because God did everything to prevent. You actually have to step over the body of Jesus to get there because God did everything to save and rescue people from ever having to go there. See, again, people, they got the wrong view. And our theme text for the month is actually, it's in the book of Acts. It's a group of people who are making fun of God, and they're making fun of Christianity because they don't understand what's going on. They think it's this, and it's actually that. They, they got the wrong idea. They got some misinformation, and so they're making fun of what they don't understand. Now, let me give you some context to the story. Jesus comes to planet Earth. That's the whole Christmas story. And he lives for about 33 years on earth, and he teaches, and he performs miracles. And then we hang him on a cross, and he dies for the sin of mankind. Three days later, Jesus resurrects from the dead. And a lot of people don't know this, but after Jesus resurrects from the dead, he spends 40 days on earth, 40 days in and around Jerusalem, talking to his followers, talking to his disciples, appearing to all sorts of people. And that's exactly why we know about Christianity today. Because here's the thing, if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead and appear to all of those people, Christianity would have never survived the first century because they would have discredited the story. There's too many people who... The Bible claims to have seen him alive, and they would say, we didn't see him alive, and the story would have never survived. That's why we know Christianity is real, because people saw him alive, and the story exists as a result of it. So on day 40, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives right outside of you know, the temple area of Jerusalem, and he's on the Mount of Olives, and he's giving his closing thoughts, his final statement to his followers. And one of the things he tells them is, I want you to now go and wait in the city, wait in Jerusalem until I send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's gonna come and give you the power to do this life, give you the power to walk out Christianity. So they go, and Jesus goes to heaven, so they go into Jerusalem, and they start these prayer meetings waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they really don't know what they're waiting for because they've never experienced it. They, They don't really understand the whole concept, but they're praying, and on day number 10, the Holy Spirit shows up, comes from heaven, shows up and all sorts of stuff begins to take place. And people who are watching this, people in and around what's taking place, they can't figure out what's going on. And in Acts chapter two, they say, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Like, I don't understand this at all. I don't get what's going on. Like, that's that's weird. Like, like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And some even made fun of them. And that's happening today. You got people who make fun of you for coming to church. You have people who make fun of you for your faith. How can you believe that? This is 2017. That's a primitive belief. Like, why would you, why would you believe in something like that? That doesn't make any sense at all. And they make fun. It's happening 2,000 years ago. And here's their conclusion. I know what's going on. They've had too much wine. They're drunk. That's why they're acting like that. They're drunk. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. And that's what I want to do this month. I want to explain to you what's going on. Because again, you think it's this and it's actually that. And you will always criticize what you don't understand. 
And so we, we got to get a proper view on some things. So let me explain it to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Come back this afternoon. It'll be a whole different story. But right now, it's 9 o'clock. No one's drunk yet. He goes, no, this is that. This, what you're seeing, is actually that. You thought it was this, but it's not this. It's that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, the prophet Joel wrote a little book in the Old Testament called the book of Joel, and it was just a couple chapters, this prophetic word from God. And what Peter goes on to do is he quotes the Old Testament and he tells all these people that are making fun of them and all these people who are confused and they're amazed and they're perplexed and they don't get what's going on at all. And he says, look, guys, this is exactly what Joel was talking about. This is what you've been waiting for your whole life. Like you've been looking for this, you've been longing for this, you've been waiting for this. This is exactly what Joel told you was going to happen. But when it finally came, you rejected it because you thought it was this, but it was actually that. And you see, there's a lot of people doing that in Christianity today. There's a lot of people doing that in church today. They're rejecting things about Christianity because they think it's this, but it's actually that they're rejecting because of bad information. And so what I want to do this month is I want to explain some things to you. I want to take the next four weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about praise and worship. Like, why do we do music in church? Like, and what is, what is the difference between praise and worship? Like, like is it just fast songs and slow songs? And, and, and why do we even sing in church? What's, what's the point of it? Because here's what happens every week. I, I, we see it in our church every week. There's people who are rejecting praise and worship. During, during the music portion of our service, That there are people who literally, they'll just stand there. And they're not, they don't open, open their mouth, they don't sing, they, they've got their hands in their pocket, their hands aside, and they just stand there, and, and they're rejecting this beautiful thing, praise and worship. And, and I think it's really because they don't understand what it is. They think it's this, and it's actually that. And I know it because they'll come to me at times, and I've heard the statement over time, people will say things like, I, I just didn't enjoy worship today. Well, we weren't singing it to you. Like, I don't know if you know, but you didn't go to the cross. It's not, all to Bob, I surrender. No. Like, it's not for your personal entertainment. It's not for you to enjoy. So, so we got people rejecting something because they really don't. So we're going to deal with that next week. Week three, in a couple weeks, I'm going to deal with something a lot of people struggle with and wrestle with, and it's the whole, it, it's the whole area of healing. Because there's a lot of people today who's like, I don't even know why I should keep praying. Like, I pray for people and they die. Like, why does God heal some people and not heal others? You know, what's the deal? Why doesn't he just heal all the time? And we're going to look at some of those questions, and we're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit and help you really understand what healing really is. And then finally, week four, we're gonna deal with something that has really gotten out of hand in America today and really misunderstood. And, and let me just start off by saying kind of the, the, the popular definition, I am completely opposed to it in every way. Like this, it, every way, because I don't see it as biblical at all, but it's the whole message of prosperity in the church today. And there's a lot of stuff we've seen on television and a lot of stuff we've heard taught. And, and people say, well, are you a prosperity church? Not like you think. 
Like, like not your definition of it. Like I'm, I'm completely opposed to most of the stuff you hear out there, but there is a message of prosperity in the Bible that God wants us to understand. Because here's the deal. God needs you to have more than you need so that you can be a blessing to others. You can't, if you're struggling to survive and you're struggling just to meet your own needs, how are you going to be able to bless others? So there is a healthy message there that has a, and we're going to deal with that and look at that. Today, what I want to do is I'm going to go back to the story we're opening with and, and deal with a part of God that many people are confused about, and that is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of people, they understand the concept of God the Father because you've had a father. Even if you had a bad father, you understand father. And people understand God the Son. They, they understand Jesus because they've seen the movies. And so they, they kind of have an idea of what he looks like because we saw him in movies. But the hard part is who is this Holy Spirit? And I don't know about spirits. And for those of you that grew up in the South and the King James culture, the King James Bible called him the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, but I don't like ghosts. I don't want to like have a ghost in my life. That just sounds weird and far-fetched. And this whole thing, like, like who is this spirit? And so I want to help you understand. I want to explain some things to you today about who the Holy Spirit is, because I think a lot of people are keeping him at an arm's length because they, 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 they think it's this, but it's actually that. And you'll like that. You don't like this. I don't like this, but, but I like that. And I think you will, too, if you understand. So let's take a blank page approach. First off, let me help you understand who he's not. Let's get rid of some of the confusion. First off is he's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He's got a mind, will, emotions. He has feelings. You can grieve him. You can make him happy. He is very much a real, the Bible calls him a him. See, here's the problem. If you see the Holy Spirit as an apparition or as some cosmic force, you're going to relate to him differently. But if you see him as a person, you will relate to him personally. And the whole word spirit is actually a made-up English word because the, the people who translated the Bible from the original Greek language, the New Testament portion of our Bible was written 2,000 years ago in the original Greek language. And so the, the English Bible that we read was translated from the Greek. And when the translators got to the word spirit, they didn't have a, a, an English word that captured the idea. And so they actually made up the word spirit for the Bible to, to give us a word to kind of capture the meaning. But if you look at the original Greek word, it's the Greek word pneuma. And pneuma literally translated means a blast of fresh air or breath. That's what it, so it's like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Breath. That, that's, that's what it really is. I mean, the, the Spirit is the breath of God. And many people say he feels like a breath of fresh air. And he, he, he is. He will rejuvenate you. He will refresh you. That is his purpose in your life. And then let me also say he's not in it. He's also not weird. Look, people are weird. God is not weird. I get weird sometimes. There's weird stuff that happens on TV, weird stuff sometimes that happens in church. God is not weird. Don't let how people act keep you from responding to God. You see, nobody rejects the power of God. There's just people who just don't like the packaging because like, some of the packaging gets a little bit weird at times. They're not rejecting God. They just, they just don't like the packaging. So let's talk a little bit, who is he? 
Who is the Holy Spirit? Why should I be friends with him? Why should I allow him to be a very real active part of my life? Well, the first thing I want you to understand is he is my comforter. Man, and with all of my heart, I want you to know him that way. I cannot tell you the times in my life where I've been going through hell and I've been going through heartache and going through tragedy and and it feels like life is coming undone. And because of my friendship with the Holy Spirit, again, you can't explain it logically. It's something that has to be experienced, but it's like those big comforters in your bed. Sometimes I feel like he's just wrapping me up saying, it's going to be okay. And I feel him speak to my heart. And I have this peace that doesn't make sense. And people look at me like, how do you have peace right now? How do you have peace in the midst of what you're going through? I don't know. I just, the Holy Spirit told me it's going to be okay. He's comforting me. And I wish you could know him that. He wants to be your comforter. Paul puts it like this. He comforts us in all our Troubles, you're going to have troubles in this life. You're going to have painful things that you're going to go through, and he desperately wants to comfort you so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us, and that's what I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to give you the comfort that God has given me time and time again when I have needed it. And it comes through friendship. Paul puts it like this, the amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ. Can I just stop and say it all starts with Jesus? It all, there's one way to God and that is through Jesus. There's not many roads that lead to God. There's one road that leads to God and his name is Jesus. It all begins with Jesus. The first step is you experiencing the grace of Jesus. And then Paul says, then I want you to know the extravagant love of God. You need to know how much God loves you and God is for you. And then the third thing that you need to be a Christian is the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. Paul was charging us with this. Paul was saying, you need to experience the grace of Jesus. You need to experience the extravagant love of God. And without a doubt, you need the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, he will be your best friend, your very best friend. And he has only good for you. Not only is he my comforter, but he's my teacher. He's my teacher, meaning you can read the Bible and you can get revelation without going to Bible college at all. Like without ever taking a class, you can get revelation simply through the Holy Spirit. See, that's the power of the Bible. The Bible is not like any other book on earth. It may look like other books because it's pages filled with ink. The difference is the Bible is actually living and breathing. And again, I wish I could logically explain this one to you. I can't. It's something you have to experience. You see, God always wanted facets of who he is to not be understood, but only be experienced. And that's the Holy Spirit. And that's how the Bible comes to life is when you read it with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, when I read the Bible in my own effort, when I read the Bible in my own understanding and with my own kind of mental capacity, I don't know about you, but I get bored quickly. Like I start going through my checklist for the day and I start, you know, like I'll get three verses in and I already forget what I read like a verse before. Like, I just, I can't do it. So I've got in the habit of every time I read the Bible, I'm like, Holy Spirit, teach me today. Like, I need you to teach me what I'm reading because I can't fully comprehend this without you. And I'll start reading the Bible and it comes to life. 
like things start glowing and it's highlighted and I get revelation. And this is what Jesus said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will be the best teacher you'll ever have. And he will remind you of everything that I have said. John tells us in 1 John, you have received the Holy Spirit. He lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. It's how the Bible comes to life. It's powerful. He's not only my comforter. He's not only my teacher. He's also my guide. The Holy Spirit is my guide. And this is critical for some of you right now because you're at a crossroads in life. You're trying to make a career decision. You're trying to make a, should I buy this home? Should I buy this home? Should, should I go this direction? Should I go this direction? Should I have this job or this job? And can I tell you, you don't want to get a life decision wrong. There are heavy consequences to life decisions, good or bad. You need a guide. You need somebody that helps you. Jesus, in John 16, said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes... When the Holy Spirit is in your life, that that friend, he will guide you into all truth. He'll guide you. He'll show you. He'll show you which direction to go. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. How many know that comes in handy? Like, he'll tell you what is yet to come. Doesn't mean he's going to tell you who wins the Super Bowl so you can go to Vegas, but he will guide you and tell you. Let me give you a story. When when I first began to interview with this church, this church began to talk to me about becoming the pastor here, and I began to talk to them about becoming the pastor. To be very honest, this church had been in a very, very dark season. They had lost their founding pastor in a, in a very, just, just a not a pleasant way at all. The church had lost over half of the people who came to this church, all left and either stopped going to church and went to other churches. The finances were in the red month after month, struggling to survive. And they were talking to me about coming and being the pastor. At the very same time, I had another church in Southern California that was running thousands of people, a few thousand people, very healthy, very life-giving, that also wanted me to come be the pastor. Can I tell you, when you measure that in the natural, it's a no-brainer. Like, like it, it makes no sense to choose this over this. Like, it, it really doesn't at all. Do I want to go be with a bunch of people who are hurting and angry and confused because the church has gone through hell and, and they're not going to like me? Or do I want to go here with, with thousands of people and it's healthy and it's life-giving and it makes sense? And as I began to pray, I'll tell you exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit showed me some things to come. The Holy Spirit showed me a glimpse of what this church could become, of where this church could go. And I'm telling you right now, a lot of what we're seeing today, I saw seven years ago because the Holy Spirit showed me some things. And I'm so glad that he can show us things to come because it enabled me to make the greatest decision of my life and gave me the privilege to pastor this church. I'm telling you, it's powerful. Isaiah puts it like this. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Can I say this comes in very handy in your marriage? (laughs) I don't know how many times in marriage I hear that voice of the Holy Spirit saying, I wouldn't say that to your wife right now. (laughs) 
And I tell you, when I have not listened to that voice, it was not a pleasant night in the Jane household. It was like I paid a price by not listening to that voice. I'm telling you, he is your guy. He's your comforter. He's your teacher. And he is your guy. So the question is, what do we do about all this? Like, like, what does all this mean? Well, let me take it a step further and show you something Paul said. Paul says, don't grieve God. Have you ever been around somebody that's grieving, somebody that's lost somebody they love dearly, the, the grief that they feel? Well, Paul's saying you can grieve God, that you can break God's heart. How? Well, he goes on to explain, his Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life. His Holy Spirit is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Do you realize you cannot be fit as a Christian without the Holy Spirit? And there's so many people rejecting the Holy Spirit. They have no problem with God. They have no problem with Jesus. They, they just, because they can't comprehend it, because they don't understand him, they keep the Holy Spirit at an arm's distance. You cannot be fit spiritually without him. He is the most intimate part of your life, the Bible says. And here's how they were grieving God. Here's how they were breaking God's heart. He says, don't take such a gift for granted. You want to break the heart of God? Take the Holy Spirit for granted. You want to you see God grieve? Take the Holy Spirit, the most intimate part of your life, for granted. Keep him at an arm's length. And it breaks the heart of God because the, he is God. So let me give you three very, very practical steps of how you can apply this to your life. Like, like what does this mean? How, how, can you, how can you build this friendship with the Holy Spirit? We're moving into a season of 21 days of prayer beginning today. So I'm going to give you four things to pray every day for 21 days. And honestly, for the rest of your life, let's just start with 21 days. Four things that I'm asking you to pray every single day for the next 21 days. Here's number one. Holy Spirit, show me. Every day, Holy Spirit, show me. I want you to reveal yourself to me and more importantly, reveal me to me. Reveal myself to me. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. Like, I am blind to myself. I've got blind spots. Holy Spirit, I need you to show me who I really am because I think I'm this, but I want you to reveal to me who I really am. King David prayed it best. And let, let me say, what David prays here, all of us, I, I pray this almost every day of my life, if not every day. This is one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. David says in Psalm 139, search me. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. And know, is there any anxious thoughts? Is there any anxiety in my life right now, God? Is there any stress? Am I, am I struggling with any worry or fear right now? Search me, test me, know me. And then here's the painful part. See if there's any offensive way in me. I'm telling you, that's dangerous to pray because the Holy Spirit loves to answer it. Like, you want to hear the voice of God? You ask God, God, is there anything I'm doing that's offending you? In fact, when's the last time you've asked him that? 
When's the last time in your personal prayer life you've asked God, God, is there anything I'm doing that's offending you? Is there anything offensive in me that you find offensive? Like anything I'm, I'm, any way I'm living my life, any, anything I'm doing, you know, at school or work or at home or the way I'm treating my family, my wife, my, my husband, my kids, is there anything in me that offends you? I challenge you to pray that. It, it's, it's rough. And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. So Holy Spirit, show me. And then that leads us into the second part. Now that you've shown me, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, change me. Like you just showed me some defects. You just showed me some areas that I need to work on. Now I need your help because I can't do it without you. I need you to help change me. If you leave me on my own to try to deal with this mess, I'm in trouble. I, Holy Spirit, I need you to change me. In other words, don't stay where you started. For some of you, you, you need this, this resonates with you, and I'll tell you right now, what you really need is you need to be in a freedom small group this semester, because the freedom small groups are designed for these four things, but especially the show me, change me. Like, let me let go of my past. I've got some stuff that's slowing me down, some hurt, some pain, some issues, some, some shortcomings in my life. I'm telling you, that is what the freedom small groups are designed for. Maybe this is the semester. You've heard about it for a while. Maybe this is the semester for you to say, okay, I'm gonna do a freedom small group. Maybe you're new to our church. This is the first time you're hearing about it. There's one small group we want everybody in our church to go through at least one time, and that is our freedom small groups because it'll show you what Christianity was intended to be. See, Christianity has a branding image problem today because people are taking something that's beautiful and they've made it ugly. And what the Freedom Small Group will help you do is help you see what Jesus originally intended it to be so you can get rid of all the religious garbage and really live the way Jesus wants you to live. So Holy Spirit, change me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you build that friendship with him, there's freedom. And the Lord who is Spirit is my favorite part, makes us more and more like him. You don't have to do it on your own. He's there to help you. In fact, you can't do it on your own. You can't become who God wants you to be without the Holy Spirit helping you as we are changed into his glorious image. Show me, change me. And now that you've shown me and you're starting to change me, I need you to do this third one really bad because I'm not feeling so good about myself and that's Holy Spirit, remind me. Remind me. You see, once, once he begins to show you areas in your life to work on, what, what that'll do is that you'll take a hit to your self-esteem. You'll be like, man, I thought I was here, and I'm, I'm feeling like here. And what'll begin to happen is you, you'll forget who you are in Christ because of your issues, because of your struggles, because of your shortcomings. You'll forget who you are. And the purpose of one of the one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is to remind you who you are that you are righteous in Christ. John puts it like or Jesus puts it like this in the book of John when he comes meaning the Holy Spirit he will convict the world of its sins so the world meaning those who are not followers of Jesus and us those that follow Jesus he convicts us of God's righteousness. He wants to remind you that you're righteous and of the coming judgment. So there's three convictions from the Holy Spirit. One is the world of its sin. And what that means is the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So that's not the sin of adultery. It's not the sin of lying. It's not the sin of cheating. 
The only sin the Holy Spirit convicts the world of is not knowing Jesus, and the only reason is so that people will be saved because he loves people. For those of us that follow Jesus, righteousness is available because he goes to the Father. Because he came and died and gave his life, we now have righteousness available. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So the judgment part of the conviction is for Satan. So the only thing that applies to you is righteousness. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convince you that you are righteous. Why? Because after he shows you some stuff, you don't feel righteous. And this is the biggest struggle for most Christians. Most Christians don't feel righteous. They look at their life, they're like, I'm not good enough. I, I failed. I got sin in my life. I've, I've made mistakes. I, why do I keep struggling with this? It's, it's been long enough. I should be done with this. And then you start beating yourself up, and then you, then you start getting a warped view of how you think God thinks about you because you forget that you are righteous. You're righteous not because of your performance. You're righteous not because of your behavior. You're righteous not because of what you did or didn't do. You're righteous because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Makes you righteous. Convicts you of righteousness. The word convict is convinced. I am convinced to my innermost being that two plus two equals four. You can't talk me out of that. I'm convinced two plus two equals four. The Holy Spirit wants to convince you that you are righteous because every time you sin and you fail and you make mistakes, Satan is gonna try to convince you you're not. Righteousness is not something you do. It's who you are because of what Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of that daily because that's the hardest thing for us to accept. And then finally, after he reminds you, Holy Spirit, fill me. I need more of you. I need more of God. How many of you, honestly, would say today, how many of you could say today, you know what? I already have all I need from God. Like, I already have all that God has to offer. How many of you can say, I already have all that God has to offer. I don't need anything else. I've got all that God has to offer. No, none of us can. We need more. We need the Holy Spirit to give us more. And if you don't learn to pray, fill me, Holy Spirit, fill me, Holy Spirit, you're gonna begin to live life in your own effort. You're gonna begin to do life in your own ability. And my ability can only go so far. But when the Holy Spirit is with me, I can always do so much more. Paul dealt with this in Ephesians 5. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is simply saying, don't be led by your senses. Don't be led by what you think is right. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And you may be thinking, well, I've already been filled with the Spirit. Well, in Acts 13, it says the disciples were continually filled. It wasn't a one-time thing. They were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God has more. God has more for you than what you are currently living out and than what you are currently experiencing. So Holy Spirit, fill me. What would your life look like if you begin to pray those four things every day? Holy Spirit, show me. Is there anything in my life that is offensive to you? Holy Spirit, change me. I can't work on that by myself. I need your help. And now, Holy Spirit, I need you to remind me because I'm not feeling so good about myself. After what you've shown me, I'm struggling a little bit. So remind me that I'm righteous. Remind me that it's not about me. It's not about how good I am and what I did or didn't do, but it's all about, let me get my eyes on Jesus. Remind me that I'm righteous. And then finally, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. And again, this, this, is, 
this is one of the great benefits of the whole Freedom Small Group. We end with the Freedom Conference and it's all about being filled and walking in the power of the Spirit. The problem is in the church today, there's kind of a spiritual elitism that has developed. People who, you know, are filled with the Holy Spirit somehow think they're now better version of Christians than people aren't. They actually call it spirit-filled Christians and non-spirit-filled Christians. And they somehow think they're, they're better because they're spirit-filled. Let me give you the point of being filled with the Holy Spirit so that there, there's no confusion. Here's the point. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. That's the point. Like, I'm not trying to, it's not about being better. I want to be better than me. I know who I am by myself, and I am limited. I, I can only do so much on my own. But with him, I'm so much better. Not better than you, better than me. And that's the point of the Holy Spirit. Now, now in closing, let, let me say that I, I know what some of you are thinking, because I've heard the comments from time to time. You hear a message like this, and your assumption is, well, it's easy for you because you're paid to be friends with the Holy Spirit. You're a pastor. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? It's actually harder for me. It's harder for me than a business person. And here's why. When you get off work at the end of the day, what do you want to do? You want to go home and get disconnected and not think about work, right? Right? I work with the Holy Spirit all day. When I get off work, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Can I tell you, it's harder for me because it's my job. And to be very honest with you, the most dramatic stories I hear regarding the Holy Spirit in people's lives are always business people. Nine out of 10 times, it's a business person, not a pastor. So if you really want to know who has the inside edge on hearing from the Holy Spirit, it's business people, not pastors. I wish he spoke to me the way he speaks to business people. It's like I struggle to hear him sometimes. Like I got friends in the business world, like they're hearing him all the time, like on this investment and this deal, this opportunity, and it's incredible to see what's taking place in their life. So don't ever assume for a minute that I got some kind of inside edge because of my job. It actually makes it harder for me. And it makes sense because people in business, you got to rely on them all day long because it's, you know, you're in such a foreign world out there to God that you need him constantly. You know, I can easily take him for granted, to be very honest, as a pastor because of my job. The point is we all need more. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment before we leave today? Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a gift, a gift. He says, I'm giving you a gift, my spirit, my, my breath, the wind in your sails, empowering you to do life, the life you were created to do, a breath of fresh air, a comforter, a teacher, a guide. But the thing about the Holy Spirit is he's not going to impose himself without being invited. Now, when you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of your heart. But that's just one room in the house. He wants the whole house. That's why we say, fill me. 
I don't want you living in just one room in my house. I want you filling the entire house. Now, that's what he won't do unless asked, unless invited. Like, yes, he's living inside of you, but you got him in one little corner of your house. The question is, have you ever asked him to fill the entire house? Like, I need, I need you to fill up the entire place, Holy Spirit. I don't want you just living in one little room in a nice little box. I want you filling up the entire place because I need more of you. I need more of you. And so what I'd like you to do is, because Jesus said he's a gift, with your eyes closed, just hold your hands out like you're receiving a gift from somebody. Just put yourself in a posture of receiving a gift. Just hold your hands open. And right now, just just pray this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. I need more. Fill me for the first time. Fill me again. I need more of you, Holy Spirit. Fill me. Fill my life. Let me pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, let us draw closer to you than we've ever been. God, we want to know you more. We want to go deeper. Holy Spirit, let us get rid of all the preconceived ideas of what we thought about you and let us embrace who you really are, our friend, our comforter, our guide, our teacher. And daily, let us enjoy this friendship and build this this, this prayer life of Holy Spirit, show me change me, remind me, and fill me so I can accomplish the life you created me to accomplish. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand?